so it's interesting to preach on a week where someone said that they've been feeling a joy bubble through the week. And then I realized I'm preaching on the taming of the tongue. Now that's got your joy bubble burst, hasn't it? Straight away. I see that. I see that there. But um, I think you're going to see what uh, God is doing in that. It's actually my wedding anniversary this morning. I know. I know. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I know. And I got one thing right and one thing wrong. Uh, my wife said, uh, I'm surprised that shirt fits you. You must have been working hard in the gym because it didn't <laughs> used to fit. I said, yes, I, yeah, I have. The shirts fit. And then, and then literally, uh, but before that, actually, the first thing she said to me this morning was, you didn't put a toilet seat down last night and you put the wet towel in the hand rack. What are you doing? I was like 12 years and I still can't get the right towel in the right rack and I never remember to put the toilet seat down. So that's it. One thing right and two things wrong for, for my birthday. Um, but... Uh, not for my birthday, for my anniversary, sorry. It's my birthday tomorrow, I'm getting carried away. One day ahead, I'm one day ahead. If you want to read, um, we are in a series in the book of James. Um, so if you want to turn to James, um, I'm in James chapter 3. Um, and you're going to see that uh, this is quite interesting in, to me anyway, in terms of the journey I've been on with this text through the week, and hopefully we'll go on together. This uh, text primarily is not about your tongue, it's about your heart. So that's where we're going to go um, today as we're talking about it. Uh, James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you will know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue, is also, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it sets its... And its self set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. When you first read that, you realize, wow, again, James isn't holding any punches here. He's coming very strong, um, and, uh, and he's really outlining uh, in his mind some of the challenges that people are having and some of the problems that people are having here. Clearly and evidently, uh, he's coming strong with them about their use of the tongue and, and the way they speak and the things that they say. And in a sense, when I first came to this text, it's almost as though, well, that's just the obvious thing we need to be speaking about. And we do need to be speaking about that. But if you've ever been to the doctors or you've spoken to a physio or you've had some kind of diagnosis um, given to you, you will often know that one thing is connected to something else. So often people will say, man, my leg is really hurting. I've got a really painful leg. And they think that the problem is here in the leg. And they'll go to speak to somebody and say, actually, the problem is in your other leg or the problem is in your hip, or the problem is somewhere else, and your body is overcompensating for that problem. So the evidence that the problem is showing up here in my right leg, but the actual root problem is somewhere else. 
And what the doctor or the physio or the instructor will show you is, actually, this is where we need to do your work. This is where we need to do the modification in your life for that to be fixed. These are the exercises that you're going to need to do. That is exactly what I believe James does here at the end, in the last verse here, uh, or the last few verses that we read. My brothers, this should not be that praises and curses will come from the same mouth. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. She's asking them to take the problem with the tongue and go to source. Follow it back and go back to the source. Where is this problem coming from? And I believe here he is, he's impressing on them the words of Jesus. Uh, and in one part we read in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the overflow of the heart his mouth speaks. It's from the overflow of your heart that your mouth is communicating. And then I went on this journey, which will go on in terms of, therefore, them thinking about my heart. We are not in the business in the church of behavior modification. Many churches are in the interest of behavior modification. Look right, dress right, then you can belong amongst us. If you get this right, you just need to look good, actually. You need to get the right words. You need to know the right way of saying it. You need to dress in the correct way and, uh, and just turn up. If you've got problems, just leave them for every other day apart from a Sunday. All right. On Sunday, we come together. We look good. We say the right things. We do the right stuff, and we'll leave the rest behind. Just uh, You can swear, but don't swear on a Sunday. <laughs> in the car on a Monday, no problem. No problem. You let rip, right? You can swear in all 11 national languages here in South Africa, right? <laughs> Even sign language, you just let it go, let it fly, it's okay. Because they're into behavior modification. We're not into behavior modification. We're not looking just to tweak the outside. We're not going to take you from the outside and take you on a journey to the inside. We're going to go straight for the inside. We're going to go straight for your heart. Why would we do that? Why would we go straight for your heart? Nicky Gumble says this about the word Jesus used. When Jesus uses the word heart, this is what he means. He means the seat of your physical, spiritual, and mental life. He means the heart at the center and the source of the whole of your inner life, your thinking, your feeling, and your willing. What, what James is hinting at here is you cannot, you cannot have a divided heart. You cannot have a divided heart. Your source must be pure. The source of the water must be pure because what's coming out of your mouth is evidence of what is going on in your heart. And your heart is the center of your physical, spiritual, your mental life, the whole of your inner life, your thinking, your feeling, and your, will, and your willing. Holiness is not a matter of your outward appearance. It's not a matter of your outward appearance. Getting your heart right. You will not. That's why when in 1 Samuel... Um, they are choosing who's going to be anointed. We are told there that it is man that looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Why? Because God is concerned with your life as a whole in terms of your thinking, your feeling, and your willing. And I want you to know that what is at stake is not your tongue, but your heart. 
That is what you are playing for here. If we get your heart right, if we can position your heart right, if we can make sure that we are not divided in our hearts and in our affections and in our devotion to God, your tongue will follow your heart. You will set a course. You will set a path. You will tend the soil that the fruit in your life will be good because your source and, and the place deep within yourself that this is coming from is right. You will have planted the right tree. You will have had the right source of water. Then we will not need to modify your behavior. We won't need to do that. We won't need to correct you on your language. We won't need to correct you on that. Why are we told to? Because it is not consistent that we would praise God with our mouths and that we would curse men with the same mouth. That's why. It's wholly inconsistent. If on a Monday morning you had a picture inside my car and I'm letting rip on the guy who's cut me up in the morning and I'm swearing at him, my hands are going everywhere. And you're like, I, I thought that guy was the preacher yesterday. I'm sure that was the guy that preached yesterday. I'm convinced of it, but he doesn't seem to have the same demeanor about him at all. It would not be consistent. It's not consistent if at home I'm using offensive language. It's not consistent if in the workplace I'm using offensive language. And then on a, on a Sunday I come in and sing, holy, holy, holy are you Lord, worthy of honor and of praise. James is saying literally that's not consistent, but the issue is not your tongue. The issue is your divided heart. The issue is your divided heart. So I, I chewed over this. How do we cultivate a healthy heart then? How do we cultivate a healthy heart? And, and, and you know what God said to me? Your problem's way worse than that. You, uh, you enjoy this when you come to the Bible and you think you're going to solve a problem. And actually, you, I, I think some people take umbrage with the Bible. Oh, I can't believe the Bible says that. I can't believe the Bible says this. And you almost want to say to them, oh, it's way worse than what you think. Like that, that bit that you're upset about, that thing that you're really concerned about, let me tell you, the Bible says that you've got nothing but filthy rags. Absolutely, the, 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 the picture of your despair is way worse than that. If, they really, if people really understood what the scripture said, it's way worse than that. And I felt like God say to me, your condition is way worse than that, Steve. Your condition is way worse than your divided heart. I said, no, for God, it's just about, I help people understanding how we can truly root up the idols, which is part of it, and go there. And this is what I believe that God would want to do with us when we understand this, that your heart is created, you now, living in the new covenant, are created in your heart to be carriers of the Holy Spirit. Your heart needs to be cultivated to a place where you understand that the temple has passed away, and we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we play with that, that scripture, and, and we associate it with physical fitness. And the Bible, there's nothing wrong with physical fitness. The Bible says we can learn from physical fitness and training. It will teach us something. But I want you to know that when the Bible says that your body is a temple, it's not talking about you physically being as toned as you can be. Whilst physical fitness is of some help, the temple of the Spirit that is in your heart is that the Holy Spirit may rest and may dwell inside of you, in your heart, in your very inner being, that you will be a carrier of the presence of God. That your heart may not just be undivided, that your heart may not just be pure, but that your heart may be holy. That the Spirit of God may rest in such a deep place in you, that you may have such an understanding of the holiness of God, that you may have such a reverence for creating and cultivating a heart that would God would be pleased to dwell in, 
that you will be a carrier and a a bringer of blessing in the things that you say. When you are in the room, when you are there, there is a capacity for a holy moment to dwell because of the things that you will bring, because of the things that you will say, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Not because you are great, not because you are good, not because you bring anything other than your willingness and your ability to surrender. Your ability to say, God, all in all, I have nothing to contribute to this circumstance but you, Lord. I have nothing to bring but the presence of God. Let it fill my heart. If there is anything, and let's go back to what we learned in Ephesians. Because I asked myself the question, but how does that work, God? How does holiness work? Can we chase this holiness away? Can we lose this holiness? How does this work? How are we holy that we are carriers of the Holy Spirit? How, is that, how does that even work? And I felt God remind me of what we learned in Ephesians, that you can breathe the Holy Spirit. That we are in relationship with the Spirit. I want you to. I just want you to go go with what the Bible tells us, right? And I watched that um, the Bible Project videos that some of you would have watched. There's a Bible Project video on holiness, and it starts with this: that a good example when you think about holiness and when you thinking about God is the sun. You cannot go close to the sun, but you cannot live without the sun, right? You have to have a reverence of the sun. You have to, right? Even where we are. As, as, as removed from the sun as we are. If you play around with the sun, you'll either get sunstroke or you'll get burnt or you'll get blisters on your skin. Even where we are, we understand that we can't play around with the sun. Okay? You get closer to that thing and you're going to realize that it's fierce. Absolutely fierce, but it's life-giving. It keeps you alive, but it is fierce. Okay? So holding that tension... Holding that tension. Because some of us, our view of God has got so comfortable that we speak in comfort. About six, seven, maybe ten years ago, there were people that wore a t-shirt. And you may have this t-shirt. I'm sorry if I offend you, but you do need to throw it out. Um, And they would wear this t-shirt. Maybe it was an English thing because we were in England at the time. Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I, I understand the sentiment maybe, which is that you are friends of God. But at no point would I encourage you to be so comfortable with that concept that you would refer to Jesus as your homeboy. Some of us have got too comfortable in terms of this attitude towards the holiness of God. We're so comfortable that we can praise God on a Sunday and we can swear on a Monday. That's what he's saying here. And I'm not after behavior modification. I'm not after that. I'm just saying that the natural root of praising God and speak and holding this, this sense of holiness around God means that we guard our tongues. Why? Because our hearts have been wholly surrendered and given over to the holiness of God. They are a place where the Spirit of God will dwell. They are a place where the temple uh, uh, has been removed and the new temple is within us and within the church. And within the church. The, they, they describe the, 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 the holiness of God as utterly unique. The word holy is totally set apart and utterly unique. I want you to know that God is utterly unique. He's incomparable. He's immeasurable in your imagination. You cannot, even if you were to sit and to ponder for the rest of your life, you cannot plumb the depths of the holiness of God and the goodness of God and the absolute difference of God. Read through the scriptures. Most people, even when they encounter an angel, not God, an angel, fall flat on their face. Fall flat on their face. The moment you die, or if God, Jesus will either return or you will die and see him face to face. Either way, you're going to see Jesus. I want you to ask yourself honestly, 
ask yourself honestly where your attitude will be, oh, that's it, yeah, Jesus is alive. Or whether your attitude will be head down, face to the floor, the holiness of God. In heaven, we are told there is no need for the sun or the moon anymore. Why? Because of the radiance and the beauty of God. A light that is so bright that you would no longer need it anymore. When they encounter Jesus in the book of Revelation, they, they have these visions of, of the, the, the sword coming out of his mouth. The holiness of God, the radiance of God, the, the, the worship of all of the angels is reserved for the Lord. The angels tell people when they fall in their face, please do not worship me. Do not, it would be an abomination for you to worship me. Because our worship is reserved for God. It, holiness is God's absolute defining characteristic. In the Old Testament, we, we know this, uh, we've heard this time and time again. In the center of the temple, there's this place reserved for the Holy of Holies where God will dwell. Israelites are given instructions about being morally and ritually pure for their worship. They are avoiding being impure all the time. They're avoiding being impure because they can't come to worship. They're having to avoid it. They don't want to touch uh, like a dead body or it, because for a time they will be considered impure for worship. So they are consciously careful because what can happen there is the impurity can spread to them. So they will become ritually impure. Uh, they are avoiding this and because then they know they must become pure first and then go into, temp into the temple. Then Isaiah has a vision of a coal touching his lips, making him pure. Something passes to him that makes him pure. And then he has a dream of a river flowing from a temple, bringing life and bringing purity. Check the difference when Jesus arrives. Jesus touches people that are impure. Jesus isn't scared of becoming unpure. Jesus knows that his holiness, that the fact that he is God himself, he touches them and says, dead be risen. Other people, I'm not going to touch a dead body because it will make me impure. Jesus said, I'm going to touch a body, I'm going to bring life. That's the difference. Other people are scared to touch uh, people that have got skin diseases because they know they'll become impure. Jesus said, I'm going to touch them. And not only am I going to touch them, I'm going to heal them and remove them. I'm going to bring purity. I'm going to bring healing. Jesus then claims that him and his followers are the physical embodiment of the temple. And they have streams of living water flowing from them, bringing life, healing, and hope. And then in the end of the scriptures, at the end of the story, in the end of Revelation, we have a new heaven and a new earth where river is there uh, and the entire earth is God's temple and everything is being brought back to life by the river that is flowing from the temple of God. In light of that higher view of God and that high understanding of the temple, now tell me what you want to do with your tongue when I say that you are a carrier of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In light of that, your behavior must come in line. It must come in line. Not that I'm chasing your behavior. I'm not concerned about your behavior. I'm chasing your heart. Not concerned about your behavior because if your heart is not divided and you understand the holiness of God and you understand what we mean when we come to these things. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, his opening like intro is to the church of God in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, they were struggling with sin um, amongst them. That is part of the message here that's coming across and you see some of that. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, those made holy. To those sanctified, those made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you. The church and us as individuals are called to be sanctified and holy. Does that mean, Steve, that you will never sin, that we will never sin? Are we chasing some sort of perfection? No. 
No, I don't believe that you're going to become perfect. I don't believe there's a moral state of perfection that you can achieve. But I do believe this. In the same way as over 12 years, my relationship has deepened in the natural. In that, in that ability that my ability to grieve my wife is less now than it was when we started. It's less. It has to be less. Because we have grown in that love and that understanding of each other. We have the potential to hurt each other more. Don't be mistaken. We have the potential after 12 years to hurt each other more. Because we know what to do to do it. But we choose, I choose not to grieve my wife on a daily basis. I choose not to grieve my wife for the health of our relationship. Are we going to achieve a perfection? No. Can we achieve a deepening of that relationship such that we would begin to understand in the scripture that we are now one? Yes. Yes. I want you to understand that your sin grieves the spirit of God that would live within you. It grieves the spirit. I want you to take seriously, I want you to take seriously sin. I want you to take it seriously. I'm not even going to qualify it with that sentence that, you know, afterwards we try to qualify. I don't want you to take seriously sin, but I don't want to lay heavy on you. No, no, I do want to lay heavy on you. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for it. I do want to lay heavy on you. Your sin can grieve the spirit of God that lives within you. And when you grieve the spirit of God, you quieten his voice to speak into your life and to speak into your heart and to create moments of holy, where heaven can meet earth. Because if we are carriers of God, the, the place of the Holy of Holies was the place in Scripture where heaven meets earth. It was the place of encounter. It was a place of, uh, where heaven meets earth. That is what's now being described of your heart and the church. This morning when we came together, this is worth so much more than your tongue. If I told you you were about to come into the place where heaven meets earth, I'm sure you'd watch your language. It wouldn't even be on your mind. Is it in your mind when you connect with Jesus to start letting rip with swear words? No. It's not in your mind. Then as carriers of the presence of God, let your language be such that people would know that you are different and you're marked out. The church is called to be set apart, to be utterly different, to be utterly unique. It is called to be the image bearers and the carriers of Christ here on earth. That is what the church is here for. That is what it is mandated for. It is to be a holy place of encounter where people come. There are treasured moments where they know there is something different here because this is a place where I feel a thinness, whatever you want to call it, the atmosphere is different. Why? Because people are coming and cultivating an attitude of prayer and coming and cultivating an attitude of reverence to God. Some of you have been on this journey for a long, long time, a lot longer than me in Christ. And I want you to know that this message is not just for people that have come to faith in the last couple of months. This is for you who have become very familiar with the things of God. Because your familiarity is exactly the problem. Your presumption that you know what God is going to do during the worship songs, that you know what God is going to do at the end of the meeting, that you know what God is going to do, is exactly your problem. You've lost your reference for what God may do amongst you, what he can do. That eye roll you do during the middle of the service when they always do the thing that they always do that annoys you. Your familiarity with it is the problem. It's preventing you from encountering God afresh. And whether you've been on this road, whether this is your first week in church, or this is, you've come to church like Herman, what, 80 years of his life probably. 45 years. 
And that's a long time. That's a lot of sermons. And for a lot of it, you're listening to your son-in-law. That requires a lot of grace, right? You understand what I'm saying? You can, with that familiarity of it, forget that when we entered the building this morning, we came and we set ourselves apart from people, that we asked us, we asking God to come and meet amongst us. You forget that it doesn't matter where you live. It really doesn't matter. I want you to know from the shacks in Cape Town to the wine farms of Constantia, there are temples of the Holy Spirit and dwellings where God made it. Can you imagine? In the most unseen corners in Cape Town, there are places and homes and houses that have become a dwelling place for God because of people's reverence for who he is. And what I'm asking you this morning in a weird way is, do you still have that reverence for God? And one symptom you will see if you don't is that you've allowed your language and your tongue to slip. You've allowed gossip to come into your life. You've allowed, you've allowed a, a bad language to, to enter your, your everyday vocabulary. You run people down at every chance. You run the nation down at every chance. You use your, you, you, you're more than happy to get involved in, in talk like that. Would be a symptom of, an, of a divided heart and a symptom that we've forgotten and we've lost the reverence for, for God. That we've lost this moment of holiness. That we've lost this, we're not captured any longer by the holiness of God. I want to call you back not to, to fix your behavior. I want to call you back to fix your eyes. I want to call you to fix your eyes on somewhere different. I want to ask you to fix your eyes on the front. Why does the why is um, Paul speaking to the Corinth church? He, in part, is speaking to them about their sexual purity. Why would our sexual purity be an issue? Why does what I do with whatever's in my pants matter to God? That's what people will say. Well, what's it? It's of no concern to God. What I do in here is of no concern to God until you realize that you are carriers of God. That you temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says to them in the book of Christ. He says, so you're going to go as the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're going to just go and connect with prostitutes. That's the language he uses. Not the language I'm using to inflame this. Not the language I'm using to try and nail your behavior. I'm not interested in your behavior. I'm interested in the reverence you have for the holiness of God and the fact that we are called to be carriers of God. The fact that we are called to be temples of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit of God. The fact that Jesus calls us to be temples is what I'm trying to say. The fact there that, that, that we would have this reverence that then makes the, what we do with our bodies important. We mustn't separate it as though what we do with our bodies is just physical. And then on Sunday we come for some out-of-body spiritual experience. Doesn't make any sense. In the, he's saying to them, the same as James is saying about the tongue, Paul is saying to them, be wholly consistent in your life. Be wholly consistent in your life. That's what uh, Nicky Gumbel, again, to quote, I've read a lot of his stuff on holiness um, this week, says this, holiness is where there's no difference between your public, private, and your secret life. I want to ask you, that's a good barometer for you. How consistent are you in your public, your private, and your secret life? And that will tell you how serious you're taking holiness. There should be no difference in what we profess and what we practice, is what he says. There should be no difference in what you say and what you believe and what you practice. Holiness is linked to wholeness. When God calls you to be holy, he is saying, be wholly mine. 
Be wholly mine. Surrender everything to me. Have reverence for me in such that you will surrender everything to me. You will lay everything before me. Both the way you act, both the way you speak, and the way you behave. Everything will come under the lordship of Christ. Everything will be brought in under the holiness of God. It is then when we are so surrendered, when we are so found flat on the face, when we so realize that, that God, this is an immeasurable task. We cannot get our lives into this place. That God will say, and that's precisely why I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit to enable you to be able to do it. That's precisely why I want to sanctify you every day. That's precisely why I want you to repent. It's so important when we come corporately to take communion, we repent corporately. We repent. We come and we, we are, we're told, don't come to the communion table unless you've taken serious repentance. Don't do it. Don't come. Why? Because of a reverence for what you're about to do. Because of your reverence and understanding of what you're doing when you come to take communion. So when we take communion, and I know we don't, we don't hold to the doctrine that this literally is the body and the blood of Christ. But some people did. And, and I'm not, I don't hold to that. That it literally becomes Jesus' body and blood. Like physically, this is like, so they'd be scared to throw it away afterwards. They'd be, you know, there's like this high, high holding of this. But there is something we can learn from that. Because sometimes we've come flippantly to the communion tables. We haven't resolved in our heart whether we've got any issues with anybody. We haven't questioned ourselves whether there's any sin in our lives. You can't not come to Jesus because of your sin. It's precisely because of your sin that you come to Jesus. But you can't pack it in a box somewhere and pretend on a Sunday it doesn't come with you. You can't box your week in that way. You, can't, you cannot box your week in such a way that sin can only exist on a weekday and on a weekend, you know, we walk in this kind of holiness thing when we come to church. No. That's wholly inconsistent, not wholly consistent. But what becomes wholly consistent is when a church gets on its hands and knees, when it understands how to repent, when it understands how to hold lives that are holy, when it understands that we are wholly consistent, we do what we say we're going to do, we come with a reverence before God, we understand what it means to be carriers of God, because that means that therefore when I go into my workplace, I can bring the kingdom of God with me, I can bring heaven on earth, I can speak life and purity and goodness and love into situations where others will only speak death. I can carry healing into situations where others will only see disaster. I can be a, a, a giver, a generous spirit in a place where everybody else would fight for themselves. We can be generous. Everything else comes in line. Your money comes in line. Your words come in line. Your, your lifestyle comes into line. Your sexual behavior comes into line. Everything comes into line when you understand the holiness of God. When you sit with reverence before God and say, let it not be an offense to you, God, whatever is in my life. To sin is an offense to God. Let it not be carried around with you day after day after day. Let it not be returned to. The Proverbs would say only a dog would return to its vomit. Some of you seriously need to challenge yourselves because you're going back and back and back to the same thing. You're repeating the cycle after cycle after cycle of going back and back and back to the same thing. And the Lord would say to you this morning, enough and no further. Enough and no further. You get the help you need to get. Absolutely. You come for counseling. Come for biblical counseling. Come and meet with people. Come for accountability. Rid your house. Rid your. It would be better for you if you are looking at stuff on your mobile phone that you shouldn't be. It would be better for you to have a one, two, three phone than to have an expensive phone. I'm just going to tell you the truth. 
Some of us, no, 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 but I need it for this, I need it for that. Nonsense. You just haven't taken seriously the sin that that thing's leading you into. What you need it for is irrelevant. It's not as though the world couldn't exist without smartphones. Don't do it. It would be better for you to get a one, two, three phone than allow your phone to lead you into sin. It would be better for you not to speak on a Monday morning than if all you've got to say is negative. Just don't speak. Some of you don't even understand that as a concept. Do not say anything. Just don't do it. Don't even open your mouth. Don't even start. Just don't say anything. If all you've got to say is negative, when you next want to swear or curse or blaspheme, just don't say anything. That would be a start. We'll work on saying something positive in the future. But for this week, say nothing. (laughs) You know there were people that were considered wise just by saying nothing. All right? Just say nothing at all. That is what we're being told here. But take seriously sin. Take seriously the holiness of God. And I tell you what results from that. Every single revival that we've seen, every single revival we've seen across the planet has seen a movement of holiness go alongside it. When people understand that God is about to move in their midst, they decide to get their hearts right, get their lives right, and get their tongues right. Because they realize that God is going to do something special and do something precious amongst you. Don't leave here this morning harboring sin in your life. Make a decision to walk away from it. Don't leave here this morning knowing that you harbor gossip or malice against somebody. Rectify it and put it right. As embarrassing as it would be, go up to the person, even in church, and say, I've harbored this against you, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Seek forgiveness of others because you've used your tongue to hurt them. Learn when not to speak and when to speak. James says, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and be slow to get angry. If your Facebook feed and your Twitter feeds and your Instagram feeds are not wholly consistent with your life of Christ, then pull them down. Just get rid of it or delete all the posts. If your laptop is leading you into positions that you don't want to be in, then only look at it in public areas. I tell you, it would be better for you to do that than it would be to let sin grow in your heart and for you to grieve the spirit of God that lives inside you, and for you to, des- to, to, to in a sense, defile the, t- the temple that lives within you. It would be better for you. It would be better for you to, to, to take extreme measures. I want you to hear the extremity today. I want you to know that sin is an extreme situation, and some of you are so comfortable in it that you need to hear someone call you out and say, get out of it. Get out of the fire. James isn't mincing his words. He's just talking about the, the, the uh, sense here, and he's already saying that your tongue can throw you into hell. Sets the whole course of your life on fire and sets itself on fire by hell. Those are his words, not my words. Bring yourself in line. Ruthlessly eliminate idols and a divided heart. Above all else, guide your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talks from your lips. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Your words are the evidence of your heart's condition. I'm not chasing your behavior this morning. I'm chasing your heart. I'm not concerned about your behavior. You would not say anything to me after this service. I guarantee you, you can confess what you like and it won't surprise us. Some of you sit and think, oh, if I was being really honest, though. Read, the, read Corinthians. Read 1 Corinthians and you'll see there's some shocking stuff here. Read the scriptures that you hold. You will not confess us 
The darkness of what you believe is your, of your depravity. You cannot come forward here and confess something that we'll just think, oh my goodness, we're going to chase you away. We need to remove you. you the gra- grace of God is so good that it will go further and beyond what you could even imagine is the darkest, deepest sin you could present here at the front. Jesus on the cross, the love of God is so fierce. The light of Christ is so bright that it will chase away every single darkness in your life. Every single darkness in your life. The words of Christ are so powerful that at, their, at his name, every knee shall bow. Every knee. There is no evil on the face of this earth that can stand against the name of Christ declares. No evil, absolutely no evil on the face of this earth. So bring what you want. Do your best. Pile them all up. Pile every sin up on the front here. And we'll kick every single one down in the name of Christ. Bring it all because that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to hide. He wants you to hide in your sin and say that's your comfort blanket. They'll never accept you if you say you do that. They'll never be for you if you say you're one of those. They'll never accept you in the church ever again. Bring it. Bring all of it. Lay it all up. Empty your storehouses of your sin today and lay it before you and the holiness of God will transform your life upon your confession. But hide it away. Hide it away. And leave it in the temple of God. The light has no place with the darkness in it. Don't compromise. The temple will not be defiled. No. No. So take seriously this morning the call to holiness, the call to transform our hearts and our lives, and let your mouth be an instrument of peace and blessing and light. May your hands, where they touch, bring salvation and healing. May your words, where they are used, bring life and fullness and wholeness. May we look like Jesus in all of his grace and truth, in all of his glory. May the church begin to reflect the holiness of God, that both our behavior and our tongues reflect it. There was a song that um, we sung just at the end there. Remind me the last song? No one before. You are on the floor. All heaven declares. I'm going to ask the band just to come and uh, we are going to, all heaven declares the glory of the risen Lamb. No one compares. No one. That's what it means to be holy. When we sing in this, we are saying, All heaven declares you are holy, Jesus. No one will compare to you. No one. And as we sing this, if you need to do business with God, I'm just simply going to encourage you um, to, to, to where you are. If you, if you need to come forward, come forward and kneel at the front. But where you are, the, the front is open for you if you need to kneel, but you can ask for forgiveness from where you are. Where you are, I want you just to wrestle with this, whether you've taken seriously the holiness of God. For some of you where your mouths, you know your mouths are, 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 are poisonous, like they said. If we really heard you let rip, your mouths are poisonous. Ask God to cleanse your heart, and, and we want to have a, a pure heart and clean hands. So we're going to ask God to come upon us, uh, uh, to minister to us, and, and to do something amongst us that would lead us to the point of a repentance that, that, that glorifies the holiness of God. We don't corporately repent very well. I get that. I think we've missed something when we don't. So we're going to wait upon God. We're going to ask for the forgiveness of God. We're going to ask God to, do, to move in our church so that the holiness of God would be something that we're known for. That we are a church of people who are wholly consistent in our lives. Father, as we stand, let's stand together. Father, as we stand, 
as we sing, as we worship you, God. I pray against condemnation. I pray against behavior modification. And I thank you for grace. I thank you that grace allows me to stand. Grace allows me to preach. Grace allows me to shout about the goodness of God. Grace allows me to brazenly say, bring every sin, bring every sin, and it will be eradicated by the love of God. Grace enables me to say it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace of Jesus. We will declare, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord Jesus. Holy are you, God. We could sing, holy, holy, holy are you, God, for the rest of our days. The whole of heaven would join us in an anthem of holy, holy, holy are you, God. Utterly different, utterly set apart, utterly unique, utterly incomparable. We have no words for your goodness. The human language is not good enough for how good you are. Our, our own languages, our 11 national languages, wouldn't cover the goodness of God. Sign language thrown in. We still don't have words. You are incomparably good. You are incomparably gracious. You are incomparably loving. So bring sin and pile it up because God would say to you, I'm, I'll blow it away. With one word this morning, I'll set you free and I'll blow it away, the Lord of God would say to you. Jesus, we love you. We love you with everything we've got. And we come to repent and to declare that you are holy. May our mouths be wholly consistent. May our lives be undivided. And may our church make a mark in this world because of its holiness, we pray. In Jesus' name.